would call that an Aletheia couple minutes. I think I clocked us at 55. It's 11.05 right now. <laughs> All right, guys. Looks like everyone's back. But so final week with me up here. So yeah, to get right into it, I want to just, I always like to start off with a quick recap, get our minds turning and, and, and engaged and on again. So, so the first week I spent some time up here. Uh, talking about entitlement, which is our focus of the month. Um, just talking about entitlement in general and what we think we're owed and what we think we deserve and um, how God's grace plays into that and what we're really owed and so on and so forth. We don't need to get into it too much. The next week, I talked about um, family and our entitlement to family and how, how it is that we should treat family and view family and prioritize family all in relation to God and how we've taken that um, for ourselves rather than giving it back to God and we've become entitled to it. Um, we've stopped viewing it as a, as a blessing and, and more as a right. Um, and we talked about, we talked about the whole, that whole concept as idolatry, you know, um, when we, take, when we take what God has given us, the creation, and when we replace it with him, um, is, that's idolatry. And we do that with lots of things. And then last week, we talked about commitment, and we talked about comfortability. Commitment towards the body versus isolation out of uncomfortability that growth um, in the body inevitably brings if you're really invested and really putting the time in and present and all these things. And we talked about that there's such a good, there is such a thing as good discomfort um, and that we need to get right with that and um, that being uncomfortable isn't a reason to be uncommitted and that we can expect a certain level of discomfort um, and we should be thankful for it because we know that, as we talk about often, that that's when growth happens and becoming more mature and becoming more sharp and being better disciplined and all these things. Um, we should be thankful for that blessing of uncomfortability rather than, um, rather than view it as you know, a curse or a burden. Um, so yeah, we talked about that. And we talked about that um, the whole thing commitment, uh, we talked about it in regards to the marriage relationship and metaphor that's used in scripture and how if we're in union with Christ, then we're in union with his body and we're necessarily connected to it and we're married to him through the church. So that was last week, talking about commitment and comfortability or uncomfortability um, and how we've, um, we leave a back door for ourselves um, and we see it play out in different aspects of our lives. And we talked about all these things being um, sort of compartmentalized in our lives rather than holistic in our faith and in our relationship with God. We, we set aside this as separate from our relationship with God, and we set aside this as separate from our relationship with the body, and these things can't speak to these things, and these can, things can't speak to these things, and so on. So that's been a, a reoccurring theme for us this, this month. But 
overall just the idea of entitlement um, in multiple aspects. And so I want to um, I want to get back into just another uncomfortable aspect of our entitlement. Um, and I want to talk about how we value things or how we value our wealth and how we're entitled to it and how we've attached ourselves to these things um, in whatever forms they take in our lives because they are admittedly, um, they take different forms in our life, our wealth, whether it's on the nose money or our things, like I said, so that's why I put it that way, um, and how we have a disproportionate uh, relationship and view of it uh, and how our entitlement separates us, our, how our entitlement to these things, to our wealth, separate us from God and a healthy and productive relationship with the body. And when we serve wealth, we stop serving God. So the, the common theme of idolatry rears its ugly head again in this way. And so today will only be sort of a precursor for that. FYI, or spoiler alert, we're going to be giving this particular topic um, it's fair due throughout the month or throughout the year and through the coming weeks and months. Um, we sort of hammered what out, hammered out what that looks like at the eldership retreat this last weekend and, and where that's going to fit in. So this will be sort of a, a just uh, breaking the ice on it. So um, and Josh Josh alluded to the fact that we're going to be talking about it at the beginning of the year as well. So um, this is another step in that direction. So um, yeah, I think my hope is that through this and through the coming weeks and months that you become convicted in what your sort of status quos and preconception is, preconceptions are in, in regards to money and wealth and how you think you're entitled to it. So that's what we're talking about today. And I want to start out today by using Matthew chapter 6 as our back, backdrop. So you can go ahead and turn there now if you'd like. Whoopsies. Matthew chapter 6. Um, what better place to start than from the mouth of Christ himself? So, turn to Matthew 6 now. I'll give you guys just a moment to do that. <clears throat> so, Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 19. And we're going to go through to the end of the chapter. So, here we go. For those of you who don't know, this is Jesus preaching his Sermon on the Mount right in the, right in the middle of it. So um, here we go, 19. Don't store up treasures, treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rush destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body, and when your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at, the f look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? And can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. 
They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. And so why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So, in this chapter, in this part of scripture in Matthew 6, Jesus brings up two real big temptations we all face as believers that distract us and pull us away from the importance and satisfaction that we have in a relationship with God. Um, And the first temptation, and it's one that we're not really focusing on today, it's the portion of Matthew 6 that we didn't read, Um, but just FYI, um, the first temptation is the so-called religious man uh, doing his works before man to receive the praise of man instead of doing them for God, even in secret for God, doing them out in public and airing them out in public so that he can receive all this praise. And Jesus says that if we seek the praise of men, that that's all the reward we can ever expect to get. Uh, and that's, and if, but if we seek the glory of God, then he will reward us openly. And the examples given in the first, uh, the first half of the chapter there, again, the, one, the part that we didn't read, the examples given are charitable deeds and prayer and fasting and these things. And um, the temptation is to seek to be noticed. And that's the point of the first temptation, to be put on a high pedestal on who is religious, so to speak, and to gain the praise of men. And so he was talking to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees, these zealous religious people who thought that they were, you know, so great and who wanted to be recognized that way. And then the second temptation, and this is the part that we will be focusing on today, is the temptation of being like the world and how it is that we seek treasures of the world and how we invest in the world versus investing in God. Uh, when we seek, uh, and we seek security and satisfaction in temporary things and things that are fleeting and things that degrade over time rather than seeking um, a relationship with God and a relationship with Christ and through discipleship, through discipleship of Christ and service to his body and these things and how these things are eternally minded rather than um, finite and in and, and this way. So both of these things want our attention um, and both of these things have a real pull Uh, but they distract us from what truly matters, and that is our pure relationship with God. Um, And the big question from Jesus' sermon here, his Sermon on the Mount, is the question of where our hearts are. And we've been talking about this consistently um, over the last few weeks, um, and it's something we always sort of talk about because that is exactly where all of our issues with God lie, is in our heart. So it should be no surprise that we talk about it consistently, and you shouldn't get tired of hearing about it consistently because that's where your issues are. Your issues are with God and with your heart. So we're going to keep talking about it as long as there are issues, and they always are. Um, The question of are we satisfied and comfortable in our relationship with God, or is there more we can be doing in regards to our wealth and our treasures and how we view those things? Is there more we can be doing for God's honor and God's glory and working for him in this way? And do we seek a vibrant and growing relationship with, 
with God in this way and with his people? And are we invested in this way? Or do we seek a vibrant and growing relationship with ourselves and taking care of ourselves and investing in ourselves? And um, so comparing the two, are we looking out for us or are we trusting in God? Um, so there's going to be sort of a, there's going to be an issue of faith that we talk about because that's what's being said. Are we giving back to God joyously um, as we serve him and as we're invested in the body and as needed? Or are we giving begrudgingly, if at all, or with contempt? Uh, and are we open to criticism in that, or do we have hard hearts? Are we setting it aside? Don't talk about this. This is not an area the church is allowed to speak into. Um, so that's sort of the questions for us and the challenges for us. And how, as people, we have a tendency to want to check boxes or put on this face of religiousness, but not actually um, having a heart that's of flesh and that's willing to change and do right by God and do right by his people and do right by our service in that. Um, the reality is that inside of our presentation that we give to the world, um, there is real struggle and real fear and real insecurity and real temptation and desiring the things of the world and of man's praise and investing in ourselves and investing in here and now rather than being far-sighted and eternally minded. Um, and Jesus directly addresses the heart by asking, by putting it in, in that frame of reference and in that context. He says, where is your treasure? And wherever that is, wherever your treasure is, that's where the desires of your heart will be also. And Proverbs 4 backs that up and says, Guard, I like this verse quite a bit. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. It's a powerful verse. Um, the questions for us are, where is our treasure? And, if, and when we answer that, <clears throat> when we answer the question of where our treasure is, it will undoubtedly lead us to where our heart is. That's what Christ tells us. And where or what is our focus on? And are we inward or outward focused in regards to this, this um, idol that we have in our wealth and our entitlement to it? And who or what are we serving in that way? Uh, in Matthew 6 here, Jesus was surrounded again by these people, these religious people, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and men who look religious on the outside but inside are corrupt in their hearts. And he was also surrounded by people who had never heard this sort of radical sort of thinking in regards to wealth and um, it's just as radical it was just as radical then as it is today in our society in terms of how we view our wealth so it's an ever relevant um, topic of discussion for us uh, and I like how that's been sort of a reoccurring theme this month is these issues that plague humanity they don't plague generations they don't plague millennials or generation X or whatever these are issues of humanity um, scripture has several examples of, of people, of individuals who have replaced serving God with their own entitlements toward wealth. One of the ones we always talk about and we always mention and fall back on, and, and rightfully so, because it's the first example we see of it, is of Cain and Abel and the, the difference between the two and how they um, viewed their wealth and how they viewed their entitlement to it and what they were willing to give back to God to it. Um, we always fall back on that one. It's a strong example. Like I said, it's the first one recorded in Scripture in this, um, in this light in terms of our uh, entitlement. But there's other examples that we should be aware of, and I was looking into it, and 
um, yeah, it's important to know. So one example is the story of um, Achan, or Achan, A-C-H-A-N. He's an Israelite. Um, yeah, you see, you see his example in Joshua in chapter 6 and in chapter 7. And it's when God instructed Israel to attack the city of Jericho and to abstain from the unclean things as they were basically sacking the city. And um, God instructed them to bring all the, like, the riches back to, to the camp, uh, the silver and gold and bronze, so that they can be uh, consecrated back to God. And as they attacked Jericho, one of the men, Achan, Achan, um, he disobeys this command of the Lord and keeps for himself like a, like a garment or something, a, a Babylonian garment and a bunch of silver and a piece, big piece of gold or something like that. And because of his sin, Israel um, will go on to like lose a subsequent battle um, in another city. Ai is the name of the city. Um, and they're chased off and several of them are killed because of this man's sin. And this man and his family were killed because of, their, because of his view um, of wealth and his entitlement toward it despite what God commanded and despite following God's orders in that. He was selfish and he sought after that and you know, maybe thought, you know, I was here in this thing. I deserve the spoils of this, this thing we just did at Jericho. And because of that, there's several consequences that come to bear, not the least of which is him being stoned to death and his family being killed. Uh, there's another example of the rich young ruler in Matthew in chapter 19. And in this story, uh, a rich guy comes to Christ and basically asks him how he can enter the kingdom of, of heaven. And Jesus answers by telling him to follow you know, the commandments. Do not, do not worship other gods. Do not murder. Do not covet. All the, all the different you know, ten commandments. Um, and the, the, the man, the rich, the rich ruler, responds by saying that he has kept all those commandments. And so what else do I need to do? And so Jesus sort of drops the bomb on him of telling him to abandon everything he has in terms of his wealth and to give it to those in need and to follow me, follow Jesus, follow Christ, he says. Uh, and you can see where this guy's heart was because of his response directly after being told this by Christ. And you can tell by his reaction that his heart is controlled by his entitlement to his wealth and how he's stored that up um, in the here and now. Uh, he supposedly has a lot going for him, but he's not willing to let those things go in order to follow Christ. And he's willing to do all those other things, to love his neighbor, to not kill, and to follow to follow God's law in all these different ways, but when it comes to his wealth, he has a distorted view on it. His focus is off, and he's not willing to give that up. He's unwilling to separate himself from it, and in this way, allows his wealth to be his idol and to replace God. There's another example in Acts chapter 5. Um, in Ananias and Sapphira. You guys know the story of Ananias and Sapphira? couple head nods. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira were people um, who brought their money to the apostles. <clears throat> they sold a, a possession. I can't remember if it was like a, a piece of land or, yeah, a piece of land. They sold something and they brought their money to the apostles um, with the goal of um, 
seeking praise for doing that, like being viewed as righteous because they had seen these other um, people doing it. And so they're like, oh, that's a good idea. We get a lot of praise by doing this. So they sold their possessions and they said, oh, yeah, we've brought everything we, we have, every, every amount of money, um, and we're giving it to you. But that didn't turn out being the case. That ended up being a lie. They kept some back for themselves because they were entitled to it. It was their possession. It was their land. So they kept some from themselves. The consequence is the same for Achan. They were killed. They dropped dead on the spot, both Ananias and Sapphira, because they sought praise and they sought in, or they followed their entitlement and their wealth rather than giving it fully back to God and um, to God's people. And they wanted to look a certain way. Their motives and their heart was completely distorted and off and not after God and not after Christ. And the point in highlighting these examples for you guys is to show that these people were short-sighted. They weren't eternally minded. They stored their treasures here rather than in heaven, as it says in Matthew 6. And their entitlements to their wealth or their praise for their wealth in the case of Ananias and Sapphira were an investment in temporary glory rather than an investment in eternal glory uh, that we find in serving and in honoring God and his people. Earlier this week, my coworker said something that on the surface was just like a funny joke and a throwaway line. Um, but I actually found myself thinking about it as it related to what we're talking about today. Um, I had another coworker who was um, basically like stressing out about, I think it was maybe his car situation, like he drives kind of a beater car and um, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to spend money on another car because he like really values saving money and like making money and saving money and just having it, having money. Um, and so my one coworker says to him, just honestly and prudently and just right up front, he didn't really entertain the guy's concerns or fears. He said, like, what's the point in doing that? Like, why do you live that way? You're not taking all that money with you when you die. And it's very true. Um, and admittedly, this, his you know, wisdom that he imparted on coworker B was um, just earthly wisdom and short-sighted because he followed it up with something like, you should just pursue whatever pleasures you want and buy whatever you want. So it was like, yeah, there's a, there's a nugget of truth in there. But then he followed it up with something that was like, okay, well, don't do that. Um, and likewise, I say that because likewise, Jesus uses some examples here in Matthew chapter 6 um, in terms of how we view what we um, do with what we have and what God gives us now. And he says, and Jesus uses moths and rust and thieves as three examples to challenge our conclusions on what we think is important and on what we do with this blessing that God gives us in terms of our wealth. The temptation is to store it up um, for ourselves and pursue our entitlements and to have it just to have it, um, but to pursue this in these, these entitlements in our, in our lives only leads to them, as Christ says, being eaten up, being um, like deteriorating over time, or being gone in an instant because of a thief. And so he uses these three examples to um, contrast, or to put it into perspective of how it's short-sighted. And then I read a funny quote on the same vein um, that said, you don't ever see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer, which is it's a fun, it's funny imagery. You don't ever see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. Like, those people aren't taking all their stuff with them and loading it up. 
<laughs> and that's true. So why, the question, guys, why do we treat what God has blessed us with in the here and now as if it's coming with us? And we should be thinking of how we can be using what came from him in the here and now for him and for his people rather than investing in ourselves and, you know, setting, it, setting ourselves up and then this, you know? We're not called to that. And all throughout his sermon, Jesus asks the people to repent and to change the way they think about these things um, and change their attitudes and be like those in Hebrews chapter 11. And so I said earlier that Really, at the core of this, there's an issue of faith. There's a more fundamental issue when it comes to our entitlements, to our wealth, and that is that it's an issue of faith. And so I want to read Hebrews chapter 11 because it, is, it drives the point home. So if you would like, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11, and I'll give you a few seconds before I get going right into it, and we're going to read all the chapter. The silence must be your phones, not your Bibles. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the confidence... Let me pick this up. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. And it gives us assurance about things we cannot see. And through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe, universe was formed at God's command. And that what we see now did not come from anything that can be seen. And it was by faith, here's the example, again, the first example given here. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. And although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. And it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God, and it was... And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God and warned him about things that had never happened before. And by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. And it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. And it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child. Though she was barren and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that, like the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore, there is no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. And they did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country, looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, 
Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. And it was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons. And it was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. And it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. And it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him from for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's commands. And it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead for his great reward. And it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. And it was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover, to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. And it was by faith that the people of Israel went through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came down. And it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in their city who refused to obey God. How much more do I need to say it? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith, the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to, fight, to flight, and women received their loved ones back again from death. I'm going to skip down. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that, so they, so that they would not reach perfection without us. To talk about what we're talking about today and how we've grown to be entitled with our wealth, we have to understand that there's a more fundamental issue, as I said, that goes on inside of us, and that it's a lack of faith. And that's exactly what Christ says. Why do you have little faith? The answer to how we store our treasures in heaven is simple. <clears throat> to live the way that God has called us to live. To live the way that Christ lived. To do as Christ did. To love as he loved. To give as he gave to teach as he taught, and to worship as he worshiped. It's simple, but not always easy as we live our lives. To love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to strip away the things that distract us from that, like entitlement to our wealth. When we become entitled to our wealth, it becomes the focus of our lives. And our vision becomes distorted on what's important. And when the things we can see here now outweigh what is to come, we have spiritual nearsightedness, guys. 
what good is our faith and what good is our hope in Christ if it doesn't motivate us to invest in him through investing in the needs and in the work of his body. We're too inclined to isolate ourselves, once again, rather than come together and passionately invest as like-minded people, working toward the same goal, working for the same person. Uh, we instead trust in ourselves, instead of trusting in God to meet our needs and trusting in each other to be mutually supportive in that way. Uh, I read it before, I think it was in the, in the first week or maybe the second week, but I read Acts 2, right at the end of Acts 2, and I'll just want to re read it again and reinforce it. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Oh yeah, it was week two because I talked about this in relationship to family. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared, shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and with great generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. As a society, we... We put a lot of faith in the wrong things, in things like 401ks and in things like pension plans and how we can set ourselves up for the future and how, and, and then there's a prevailing notion that um, because we work so hard, we're entitled to, um, to, just to take care of self. Um, because no one else will, and we have a, a distorted view of it, and we're told that we have to set ourselves up, that we don't want to be 65 and working at McDonald's. That's kind of a popular one that you get thrown at you, and it's true. Like, who wants to be 65 and working at McDonald's? And you feel bad for those people that you see that are 65 and working at McDonald's or whatever the McDonald's is in their lives. But as I think about these things, I can't help but think um, that they are sort of that they're us trying to implement like broken mechanics into a broken down system to begin with. As it says here in, 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 in Acts chapter two, if we're analyzing it and we're thinking about it, there was no 401ks in the early church and there was no retirement plans, um, but the retirement plans, if you will, says was the goodwill and the love of your community who who were focused on godly living and sharing with each other because of like-mindedness rather than trying to implement a, a, a bad mechanism into a broken system to begin with. It's never going to be successful if we're focused on God. We can't serve money and, and God at the same time, and we can't serve comfortability and God at the same time, and we can't serve our families first and God at the same time, and we can't serve ourselves and God at the same time. Scripture says we have one master. It says that at the end of the chapter here of, of Matthew. And, and Christ challenges us to look at the whole of his, of his sermon here and challenges us to repent and to change the way that we think about our entitlements to these things and how we store them up here rather than use them for God and to be focused on e eternally living, as, as it says uh, Abel was. Um, we, can't, we can't do both at the same time, no matter how hard we try. One is either despised or hated, while, while the other one is loved and uh, followed. 
And whichever one we serve is the one that is our master. And it's unfortunate. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate that in many people's lives, they choose for the, the one that loses out, they choose for that to be God. I want to wrap up by saying that <clears throat> I don't think we're a wealthy church by any stretch of the imagination. I think you can just look around and, and sort of gather that. Um, we're an incredibly modest and meek church, uh, and we're incredibly humble, and we punch way above our weight in many circumstances and in many ways. We do a lot, but I know that we can be doing more to invest in the needs of the body. I don't know how many of you were here maybe five years ago, maybe it was longer. Me and time are our worst enemies. But um, several years ago, um, we took a, a poll, if you will, here anonymously of what each of us makes throughout the year, like what our annual income is. Um, and in that same thing, we wrote down what 10% um, what of that, for example, would be. And we're not anywhere near that, guys. Though we're humble and meek and modest, we're not doing, even at a minimum, a scriptural minimum, 10% of what we can be giving back to the body and to working for Christ in this way. We're not even meeting a minimum. To sort of peel back the curtain, and as Colin alluded to um, earlier today, and we'll talk about, we are on course to go further into debt as a church because we're not doing all we can to take care of what God has given us here. We're holding, we're holding back for ourselves. We've become entitled in some way, however big or small, I don't really care. Like, we're not doing all we can. Um, and that is, by the way, being modest in how we operate and how we spend. We do things on a no-budget on no budget, yet we're going to find ourselves in that position unless we change the way we think about taking care of what God has given us here and stop being selfish uh, in that way. Um, and I want to be clear that I'm not saying that money is bad or having money is bad. Um, so if you do, great. Scripture says that it's not money itself but the love of money that is the root of all things, of all kinds of evil. <clears throat> but in the same part of scripture, if you keep reading, Paul writes to Timothy that he says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And he says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Um, so only two people here know the answer to the question of where is your treasure, and that would be between you and God, um, what you're longing for and what you're serving, who you're serving and where your focus is. Um, and as we continue to talk about sacrifice and as you reflect on the last month of of entitlement and how you've set these, these four things that we've talked about, how you've set them aside rather than allow God to speak into all parts of our lives. I would challenge you guys to consider the blessings that God has granted you and consider whether or not you're giving that back or you're taking it and running. <clears throat> 
And I would challenge you to not be stagnant in your relationship uh, and service to God and in service to Christ through his body. And if things are routine, as Josh said at the beginning, if things are routine and you're checking a box and he used the auto pay mentality of it, if they are routine and auto pay then that's a problem. Becoming who we're called to be is to be constantly pushed, to be constantly challenged. I used a word last week, paraximos, to constantly being provoked and to irritated into growth. So I want you guys to think about that as we conclude here. And I have some questions for you guys <clears throat> to discuss in cell groups. What has your struggle been when it comes to entitlement to your wealth? Simple question, basic question to get started. Secondly, are you focused on taking care of yourself or are you focused on God even with your wealth? And can you give an honest response that you're doing all that you can do to put that back to God and to put that back to the body who's working for God? Or do you hold back? Do you take it and run, as I said? Do you lack faith in this way? Who loses out in that battle in your hearts? <clears throat> Are you one of those people that allows God to lose out or the other thing, the earthly thing? Are you nearsighted or farsighted in that way? Does your faith motivate you to give either all or the best of what you have or just some? And lastly, sorry, Colin, if I'm going too fast for you, I'll post it. Is God calling you to grow and invest more with what he has given you, with what blessings he has given you? These are what we